Giants, what I'm about. And what I'm about is an old school physical mentality. Okay? We're going to put a product on the field that the people of this city and region will be proud of. Because this team will represent this area. We'll play fast, we'll play downhill, we'll play aggressive. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes, we'll play every play like as a history and a life of its own with a relentless competitive attitude. going on everybody welcome to fall this is big blue avenue i'm tom scavetta joined alongside sam cardona and hank and dictor guys gals how's it going tonight doing great tom very excited to go in today's show (laughs) (laughs) i'm still i'm still salty i'm still like trying to process what happened last week but Tom, you know me i'm always very excited to join big blue avenue and to talk some gmen with you so Let's go, man. I feel very rejuvenated coming off that uh, putrid Thursday night football loss before we dive into that. We're not going to relive that too much tonight. We'll be more about previewing the Atlanta game and the Eli Manning jersey retirement. Make sure to go follow us on all of our social media platforms, folks, if you haven't. We have great content on there weekly on our YouTube channel at Big Blue Avenue. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram as well at Big Blue Avenue. And the first comment of the night comes from Noah Dibler. Noah, thank you very much for the comment. I'm a big ACDC fan. And, yes, Noah will be joining the show. He's from Georgia. He's a huge Atlanta Falcons fan. He'll be joining us roughly around 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. But we have a lot to talk about. Week two recap to go over. And, Hank, I'm going to start with you. The Giants fall by one point, and last week when we were talking to Cannon, I was making my prediction, and I said the Giants are going to lose by one point and break my heart. The score prediction may have been off, but the result came to be a reality. You know, it's funny. After that game, I was thinking about it, but I didn't want to text it to you like right away because I didn't want to kick you while you were down and be like that guy. It's like, oh, Tom, you got it right. But like my thinking after that game was just so much went through my mind. I mean, for starters, you would think that with us having rooted for this team for as long as we have, that we would be used to games like this. But I don't know if you saw LPG's post from when he was at the game. He, like, you could tell he was, like, so glum. And in his caption, he said it best. Like, you never get used to these types of losses. You're going to take it hard regardless. This is what happens when you bleed blue. It it just, it is how it is. And I think the thing, the person that I felt worse for was Daniel Jones because he was absolutely balling. 250 passing yards, a touchdown. And he had some great scrambles, too. Like, he, for for the most part, if it wasn't for him, I don't think this game would have been as close as it was. Like, I, I could have looked at this as Daniel Jones' signature win, and I so badly wanted to make him our player of the week, too. I'm not going to lie. But, 
you know, it's the Giants. The defense just was a no-show. And, you know, as much as I want to blame Dexter Lawrence for what happened, or blame the refs, rather, because it proved that he wasn't offsides, at the end of the day, the Giants made a lot of mistakes. And, you know, it should never have even come down to that field goal to begin with. That That's really all I have to say. I'm just really, I don't know. Hank's very angry. Sam, I'm going to turn to you. What's going through your mind? Dexter Lawrence jumps offside. Dustin Hopkins kicks the game winner. What is your first initial reaction? Walk me through that moment. I have to say I was watching the game with my dad, and we kind of just sat in silence for a little bit. Like It was like a that-did-not-just-happen kind of thing Um, because the second that he missed that first kick, I stood up and I was like, Oh my God, we just won this game. Like I was so stoked. And then I turned to my dad and I could just see this face on him. And he was just like shaking his head. And I said, what? And I looked and I saw the flag and I said, this is the most giant thing to happen at the end of a game. And obviously they kicked the, the, the field goal in and it went through and my dad and I just kind of looked at each other and he's in the process of learning how to make beef jerky. So he had just finished making his beef jerky and he just goes, you want to try my jerky? And I was like, literally, I would love nothing more than to just forget this just happened and go upstairs and eat some beef jerky. So that's what we did. And we basically sat in silence for a bit, ate some beef jerky. And he was like, I think it's time to go to bed. And I was like, you know what? There's nothing we can do. It's time to go to bed. And that's just what we did. It was a devastating loss. Again, like Hank was saying, it would suck the fact that it came down to that one point that we shouldn't have gotten there. There was a lot of times where we had points that could have gotten up on the board, uh, put us ahead of the game. But unfortunately, this is where we are. But I definitely think that, I said it last week, if they play better, even if we lose, I'll feel a little bit better. And I and I did see a much more improved Giants team this week. So it's like, you know, there's only a place to go is up. You know, that's really all we have here. So I'm I'm excited for this week. I'm excited to go over this Falcons game and hopefully put this week two game behind us. Yeah, obviously we're going to run through the pros and cons. But before we get there, Noah had to text Tom to offer condolences. Atlanta would have been proud of that Giants performance. And Ouch. Let's – well, I think what he means by that is that the Giants, quite frankly – played much better than Atlanta did last week. Um, The Giants, the first Mm. drive, they forced the Washington three and out. Taylor Heineke was not looking good, and the Giants drive down 79 yards. Daniel Jones, that little hesitate quarterback draw in for the first touchdown of the football game. And then Terry McLaurin, scary Terry Hank, we were very worried about him. He was the first Washington wide receiver since Pierre Garçon in 2014 to eclipse 10 catches and 100 yards in a single game. He scored the game-tying touchdown early on in the first quarter, and it seemed like Bradbury Bunker was non-existent all night long. Well, no. I mean, he did have that big interception at the end of the game, but up until that point, I was like, where, where has this guy been all year? Where has, has the Bradbury Bunker that we saw all year been? And, you know, it's funny. Incidentally, Scary Terry's performance actually helped me in terms of fantasy. But at the end of the day, that doesn't make me feel much better about my team's performance. Yeah, this is so, this is very yeah. this is very true. I mean, look, McLaurin has had success against the Giants in the past, so I can't turn around and tell you that I'm shocked that he put these numbers up against us. The Giants were down 
14 to 10 at the half. I'm pretty sure Washington had a good final drive. We couldn't stop JD McKissick. And then we're going in there second half. We kick a field goal and then we take the lead 33 yard strike. Daniel Jones to Darius Slate. And I'm thinking, Oh, this is great. The giants are up by six and then Slayton drops that pass on the next drive. Big play slay was non-existent. And that drop reminded me too much of the Philadelphia game with Evan Ingram left four points off the board. Sam Darius Slayton just, I don't know what it was. I mean, he seems to be a mentally collected guy and, Right then and there, he couldn't haul in that pass. I mean, you could argue it was slightly overthrown, but come on. You, Jones was under duress. He was getting hit as he's throwing the ball. What more could you expect? You have to make that catch. Absolutely. And the the thing is that if the ball touches your hands, you should be making that catch. And when I rewatched that playover, it comes off of like right on like the on his fingers. So that was a catchable ball and maybe it was overthrown but like you said daniel jones was under duress that for for someone who was getting pressured like that to throw a ball to the end zone in a very very specific place i think that daniel jones did everything he could in the situation that he was in slayton's got to catch that that was that was our winning touchdown that is what would have won us the game and like you said it was very similar to that evan ingram not catch, but, uh, you know, his drop from that Philadelphia game, again, on Thursday Night Football um, from last year, which literally haunts my dreams. But literally, this is – it's a catch because it touches your hands. You need to catch those balls. And obviously, in a very important part of the game, in a very close game, Slayton, I don't know what happened. I don't know if he had butter on his fingertips or what was going on, but that is a ball that needs to be catched and caught, rather, and that is um, – something that cannot happen anymore, especially towards the end of the game. No, after he dropped that, I just, the minute he dropped that ball, I had a sinking feel, feeling in my stomach and I almost punched a wall when that happened too. I'm not going to lie. Jeez. I'm sorry. This, this blue team sometimes brings out the worst in me mentally. And I'm, I can't <laughs> necessarily say that I'm always proud of that. No, I'm not proud of it either. And the Giants, again, you know, Logan Thomas didn't blow us up. He did have five catches for 45 yards. But what I was really upset about is we're up 26 to 20 in the fourth quarter. And then I believe it was a 56-yard pass to J.D. McKissick. And then Ricky Seals-Jones, who is a backup tight end, snatches a 19-yard touchdown to give Washington the lead. And then we're down by one. They have the ball. Bradbury comes up with this miraculous interception. I don't know where he was all game. That was the one good play that he made. He undercut the throw. And then the Giants play very conservative, run first and second down, faced with third and seven. And then Jones throws behind Shepard. Gano kicks a field goal with time still left on the clock. I think right then and there, we knew we lost this game before we even did. Yeah. That's the way I look at it. Yeah, my biggest problem with the Giants on the drive, and I'm not going to say so much on that drive necessarily, but I think something that I noticed like after they had the lead late in the game is what, I, is what I'm going to say. I felt like they were playing more not to lose the game as opposed to playing to win. And trust me, if you've watched football games, you know that there that's a big difference. And, like, I, it just – I don't know. I, I, I don't know what to say. Speechless. 
No, yeah, it, it really it comes down to the fact. I think that se- that seems to be an issue because obviously our defense hasn't been performing the best in the past two weeks. However, there have been plays where they get the ball and give it back to the offense. And they're like, hey, look, we did our job. We're giving the ball back to you before this team got down the field to score a touchdown. Like in in several plays, this has happened. And I don't think that we have been able to capitalize on any of those plays, which is really unfortunate because when you're given that many opportunities and you can't get down the field to even kick a field goal, which obviously it's not what we intend to do, but if that's what happens, like – the fact that sometimes we don't get points on the board from a turnover and an interception, that seems to be a really big issue. I don't know if they start to like get nervous or panic that we're like, oh my God, we have to do this. We have to capitalize on this interception and it doesn't happen. That's that's a little bit concerning to me. So I think that that's definitely something maybe they need to work on because the the whole point of the interception is to get the ball back and put the points on the board. And, and I don't see that happening with this offense. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I and, I, and as I was saying, too, I think there were other moments in this game where I probably would have, like, been a little bit more aggressive. Like, when it was, like, yes. when it was fourth and four on the 40, like, Tom, I know you're going to disagree with me because I know you and I are generally from the Tom Coughlin school of you always take the points. But with the way the defense was playing, I actually was considering, like, going for it in, in my head. I was kind of screaming I wanted to go for it. And it goes back to what I was saying before. They weren't playing to necessarily playing to win at times. I felt like they were just trying not to lose. And when you try not to lose, like Sam alluded to, that's a fancy way of saying panicking, in essence. Right. And another thing, too, like Dexter Lawrence offsides, you can blame the refs all you want, but the Giants lost this game before that. Also, Giants fans won't take into account that Lorenzo Carter had an offsides penalty earlier on this drive that moved Washington into Giants territory. Like, come on. You you never blame the refs. If you have to blame the refs, that means that your team did not do enough to win this football game. It's also not that simple. No, it it really isn't. Um, Let's get the cons out of the way first. Um, first off, prayers go out to Nick Gates, who suffered a lower leg fracture ending his season. Gates made his first career start at left guard on Thursday night football. They placed the captain on injured reserve Tuesday, underwent successful surgery. Nick Gates was voted a team captain this year in his third, technically fourth season in the NFL. He spent his rookie season on injured reserve as well. Um, Gates is still at the hospital at this time, and we're told that there is a chance this could be a career-ending injury for Gatesy. Joe Judge said, we're confident he'll be able to come back, but yes, it could be career-ending. Now, we know the intensity of Nick Gates. We know the toughness of this football player. His agent guaranteed that Gates will see the football field again next season in 2022, so that's a good sign, but um, hearing that news today really just hit home because the Giants finally seem to have some type of continuity on their offensive line, and then Gates goes down. He was the man that anchored the ship on this offensive line, and that's why the Giants put a C on his chest, and it's a real shame that he went down. That was a gruesome leg injury. Yeah, it's it's so sad to see that kind of stuff because – you were like, it's also sucks because if you rely so much on a person and that one person leaves and then the rest of it falls apart, that's really like 
not how an offensive line should operate. But in terms of Nick Gaethje, I was really, really like I remember looking down and then looking up and seeing him on the ground. And then when they cut to a commercial and they cut back, they still hadn't even gotten him on the cart. And then they had to cut back and then cut back into the game again. And that's how you know I was like, oh my god, this is really horrendous and it sucks so much. But hopefully we, you know, Nick Gates will be able to play on a football field again because it would be really unfortunate that that's the way you have to end your career it's it's not the way anybody wants to go out no and look I hope all I'm hoping for is that I just hope that injury heals as quickly as possible but if we can't if we never see him on the field in in a Giants uniform or like any uniform for that matter I just want him to be able to heal to the point where he get he just he has a normal life because Let's be real. Football's a rough game, and like seeing injuries like that, it, it really hurts. And I, I, I don't blame for Joe Buck for saying like, "Oh, we don't want to show you this injury; it looks too gruesome." Like, I've seen this way too many times in the NFL. Yeah, and then just to add more fuel to the fire, left guard Shane Lemieux, who was already dealing with a partially torn patellar tendon, entering the season was trying to play through that, was placed on IR had successful surgery as well. His season is now over as well. But we all kind of figured that Ben Bredesen would eventually step into Shane's role when we traded for him. So you hate to see Shane uh, have his season end as well. It is really unfortunate because we were hoping for an improved sophomore campaign. From the first game and a half that we saw, it looked like his pass protection was actually improving. If we remember in the offseason and the videos we were doing, Shane Lemieux was one of the first Giants in the building every morning. He'd be there from 6 o'clock in the morning to like 9 o'clock at night. And to see that work ethic result in this really stinks. So the left guard and the center are now out. Um, Any thoughts on Shane Lemieux? Yeah, that's another brutal one. Like, I was really hoping to see him have an improved sophomore season, too. And, you know, I actually was kind of thinking that they were going to maybe sit him potentially this game only because it was a bit of a shorter week. But considering how well he played against Denver, I don't blame them for giving another try. But then at the same time, we knew about this, this like, Torm tendon like, for, like, the past few months. I think it was pretty much inevitable that he was going to end up having to sit for a long amount of time. But then, like you said, Tom, that's that's the reason why we brought in Ben Bredesen. And I don't really have much more to say other than it's just another tough break. And seems like we really can't catch any breaks with injuries. I don't know about you guys. I think the silver lining here is, like, right, very unfortunate that Shane will no longer be playing with us this season. But we do have some solid backups to fill in that space. And I think that that's the silver lining here is that – we're not losing someone so, so important that we don't have somebody to come in. Um, You know, like you were saying, Bredesen and uh, Billy Price, the center coming into this game. So it's a, it's, it's definitely good that we have these two guys to, to fill the role. 68 and 69. We traded for Billy Price prior to week one. We traded away BJ Hill. This was a straight up man for man trade. Price started at center on Thursday night football against Washington. Everybody said the offensive line was okay. In my eyes, it was not okay. Daniel Jones was just getting the ball out in a sufficient amount of time. Price gave up one sack and four pressures. 
he does have 20 career starts, 10 starts as a rookie. He's digressed since then. Hopefully this change of scenery can help him. He is a former first-round pick, Price, so the potential is there. Ben Bredesen is the player who I think that should be the starting left guard, even when Lemieux was healthy. He also allowed four pressures against Washington. He's going to make his first career start at left guard this week against Atlanta. He was a guy who he played for Baltimore last year. He wasn't a bad player, but they went out, they signed Kevin Zeitler from us, and then they drafted Ben Cleveland. So this Bredesen deal was my favorite deal that the Giants made before the start of the season because look what we got for. We got a 2022 fifth round and a 2023 seventh round, and we gave up one of our two fourth-round picks this year. So it's not like we lost anything for this guy at all. In fact, we gained a lot more than we lost. So get used to these two faces. That's all I've got to say. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm excited to see – um, these guys perform, and if the offensive line pressures end up changing in these in this upcoming game with the Falcons, because if we see maybe you know I don't know about Billy Price because of all the sacks and pressures he allowed in the last game, but with Bredesen, it's like maybe this offensive line can improve. Like maybe that now that they know for a fact that they're going to be starting in these specific positions, their mind will be in a different place, and maybe the offensive line will improve a bit so that we can actually see this offense thrive. Right. And Noah brings up a good point. That Washington D line is elite to be fair. Noah will be joining us momentarily. Um, Yeah. Chase Young, Montez Sweat, Jonathan Allen, who had a pair of sacks. uh, He was all over the place. Three tackles for loss, three QB hits. They neutralized Chase Young quite okay. But Washington had four sacks. The Giants were not disciplined. 11 penalties. We talked about Slayton's drop. And the Giants were just one for three in the red zone. Yet again, we couldn't capitalize in the red zone. And and it was a real shame because the Giants were moving the football. But I think part of the issue is Kenny Galladay. The Giants can't get Kenny Galladay involved in the offense. Um, He had a dispute on the sideline. A lot of people assumed it was with Jones. In fact, it was with Jason Garrett, what we're being told. And he had three catches for 38 yards in this game. But... How do we get Galladay more involved, not just in the red zone, but in general? I think there are a lot of targets on the field. And unfortunately, um, you know, Daniel Jones kind of has like a comfort with like Sterling Shepard, who he is like, I mean, we, we've we been seeing Sterling Shepard do fantastic every time the ball gets thrown to him and Kenny Galladay as well. But I think Daniel Jones maybe just feels more comfortable throwing to Sterling Shepard and maybe even Jason Garrett like is more comfortable with that as well when he's calling the plays with the tight ends on the field and the receivers. Like maybe they're just trying to find out where he lies in this offense. But you're right, he needs to get more involved because we literally obtained one of the best free agent wide receivers in the offseason. Like, let's utilize him not just in the red zone because we can we he's proved in the catches that we have seen on the field that he can catch the ball and it's very good and like in, in very reliable situations. He's got sticky fingers and can make those plays. Yeah, you absolutely have to let Kenny Galladay get more catches. I mean, if, if, if you don't like throw the ball to him, what was the whole point of even acquiring him and paying him right. all that money for in the first place? And, you know, I think the same could also be said about Kadarius Tony. Like 
if you're going to draft him in the first round, maybe you ought to let him get more action. No. So in essence, like, I guess to expand on what, what you're saying about Galladay, I would probably, I would say I get why, why Tony was all upset and like frustrated at the media too. Not, I'm not saying I agree with like lashing out at the media or lashing out the coaches, but like still the, the, I guess the point of what I'm trying to say is I think even though I saw a little bit more ball movement last week than we have like it did in week one, mm-hmm. I, I definitely think Jason Garrett needs to op- open it up. And I, I, I totally get why, why God is, is pissed and rightfully so. He does. I'm going to get to Sam's thoughts on Kadarius Tony, but to just wrap up with Kenny Galladay, I think, and not to play devil's advocate here, but I think part of the issue is we went up against two good defenses in Denver and mm-hmm. Washington. And what a good defense is going to do is they're going to try, try to eliminate your number one target. And with Barkley not being fully healthy, Kenny Galladay is now that guy in addition to Evan Ingram, not being fully healthy. So right then and there, that limits Kenny Galladay's usage for us. Now with Ingram potentially coming back in week three with Barkley, you know, being a little bit more acclimated to being back on a football field again, I'd expect Kenny Galladay to be more used in this offense. But now my next point is, who is Kadarius Toney? And I'm a little confused. I mean, this is really sad entering week three. He had to apologize to the media today. What is his role on this team, Sam? Because quite frankly, I don't even know what his role is. Yeah, I think it, it's 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 hard right now because it seems like he is maybe a little bit of a strong personality, even though he's a rookie and he's only played two NFL games. But um, <laughs> hello, Andy. <laughs> um, it's good, brother. But if if you want me to kind of go into like kind of this drama that Kadarius Tony has been in these past few weeks, tea he time. has been tea time. Tea time. <laughs> yeah. Um, it has been, he's been active on social media. Uh, one of the things that he posted on his Instagram story, which was deleted, um, which has an expletive of it in it. And I will not say it, but he did say, I don't be mad. S H I T just be lame to me for real. He deleted that, and then he called the, the media clowns. And he might be <laughs> a little bit of, you know, like maybe not a total diva because he is starting to, you know, he's just getting into the league. But And it, the thing is that Joe Judge had to come out and say, yeah, no, those posts weren't about us. And it's like, well, Joe, maybe they, maybe they were a little bit. I, it, it seems like a little, like... <laughs> He was just saying that to kind of like just say it. But then he also had a whole other part of his press conference that was like, yeah, our team, they they have to stop posting on social media because it gets interpreted wrong and this and that. And I'm like, okay, no, Kadarius Tony definitely posted that. It was definitely about something going on within the Giants organization, facility, practices, games, whatever it may be. But Joe Judge obviously is a very non-dramatic, you know, he doesn't want to deal with all of the garbage that's happening. You know, he's very all business, doesn't want to deal with it. So he's just been throughout this entire offseason. He also, in minicamp, he had a cleat mishap. He had cleats that were too big for him, and he said he couldn't play. He missed some workouts and team activity because they never signed his contract. He left at some point in June because he had a family matter to take care of. So there's, like, a lot of different things happening with Kadarius Toney. And it's like, okay, yeah, he doesn't know where his role stands, but it's obvious that he's not just – 
showing up and being quiet or like doing his job. There's a lot of other factors involved here. And I mean, granted, yes, with a first round pick, we should be using him, but maybe Joe judge just really doesn't like him that much as a person. To answer That's what I think to answer Andy's question. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I'm really not sure. I, I don't think we, we have really to know him yet. Right. We no, we can't put him on an Odell Beckham level. It's on, no. it's unfair to do that. He's only a rookie, you know, you expect he's going to mature over time, but I do think he has some reason to be upset, but at the same time, yeah. you're a rookie and there's three veterans slotted above you in the depth chart. Yeah. Learn from them. And Noah says his current role, I think, current role professional bench warmer plus his college team sucks. Ojalari is way better. <laughs> That segues into my next point, as the Giants' defense has been borderline putrid um, in the first two weeks of the season, in particular on Thursday night. They have given up 57 points in their first two games, a lack of pass rush with the exception of Ojolari, who does have two sacks. I think it's this transition to this press man scheme that is throwing players off. I still think they're trying to get acclimated to it because a lot of these guys are used to that zone uh, cover one Robert situation that the Giants would use often last year under Patrick Graham. And we look, Jerry, uh, Terry McLaurin had a great game. He had 40 receiving yards on one drive alone. J.D. McKissick was all over us in the passing game. And Taylor Heineke, 336 passing yards. He completed 34 passes. That, that should not happen. Samuel Cosme, their rookie right tackle, was insane, had 50 pass blocking snaps, did not allow a single pressure. So I'm looking at Leonard Williams. I'm looking at Lorenzo Carter. I'm looking at O'Shane Zimenez, and I'm looking at Dexter Lawrence, and I'm saying, where are you? Absolutely. Absolutely. This The defense is really like – I think you put it in our notes somewhere saying that like this is surprising that this is the problem because we really went into this season expecting the defense wouldn't be the problem. Um, I have to say, though, Blake Martinez, I think, improved this week in terms of um, his tackles. He had five solo tackles, 12 in total. So it was I think he definitely was like, okay, I need to step up my game. But this defense as a whole really is not doing the things that we expected them to. And Patrick Graham has even come out and said I am, this is my responsibility. Like I'm the defensive coordinator. Like he is taking it, but it's not just him to blame. Like, yes, as the coordinator, you need to be like responsible for your defense. But if all these guys like Tom just listed aren't doing their job, then how is he supposed to perform the best as a coordinator if these guys aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing? So while I very much respect Patrick Graham for coming out and saying that it's his fault as a coordinator, it's also the players that need to be stepping it up in the game. Absolutely. And um, to answer Mr. Rothschild's question, um, if we don't know him, if we don't, we don't know him because he's not productive, why doesn't he care? Well, then all I can say is this. If he's not productive, then unfortunately that g- gives most Giant fans yet another reason to want Gelman gone. And y- you know me, I've, I've praised him when necessary and mm-hmm. I've given him the criticism when I've absolutely had to, had to. And if you look at the moves, some of the moves he's made, I've absolutely had a, had every right to like criticize some of his moves. But I, if 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 what he says is true about Tony, uh, that that's all I can really say regarding that. And this whole timeline follows chronological order. Gettleman came to the team December 2017, took it over. Yep. 
Daniel Jones came in 2019. Joe Judge came in 2020. Who's in line to get cut if this season is a failure? It's Dave Gettleman. Gettleman. It's, it's his time. Dave Gettleman. We couldn't stop Taylor Heineke, but there were some pros to this game, and we're going to get into that now. Uh, obviously, Daniel Jones shined, had one of his best career games. He was named Pro Football Focus Offensive Player of the Week, had no turnovers, rushed for 95 yards and had a touchdown, 249 yards through the air, and that bomb to Darius Slayton. Um, most for a quarterback in a game during the Super Bowl era. Hank, did you put that stat there? Yes, that is, that is correct, actually. Yes, I did. Maybe for the Giants, definitely not for the entire NFL. No, no, that's uh, that's uh, for, for the Giants, I think. Yeah. but No, that's for the Giants. Danny Dimes has legs. We know he has wheels. And let's just look at this one play. And I'm going to share my screen this week because last week I played a video and it was really tough to talk over it. Um, there is no audio on this clip, but I, I just just an example – as to how lethal – look, I know people aren't the fondest of the RPO, but Daniel Jones has, is starting to do a better job of taking care of the football. And here's a perfect example, right? So here's this play where the Giants are in this formation. Now watch Kenny Galladay, number 19, and watch Jones with the play fake. Galladay, you can see Galladay seals the edge right there. That's his job. He's coming all the way out from his receiver position to seal the edge on this guy – Caden Smith is going to pull over. You can see him here to seal the edge as well. And then what happens is the fake to Barkley draws in the linebackers. And look at this. Galladay seals the edge. Caden Smith, beautiful block ahead. Jones takes off, and he finds a sideline. Yep. I mean. He's got such long legs, that kid. He can run. (laughs) This is what you want to see if you're a Giants fan from Daniel Jones. You want to see runs like that. And th- that quarterback draw play in the red zone, it works. It definitely works. When you add the weapons that the Giants did in this offseason, it's outstanding. Uh, 91.3 PFF grade. And after two games, there's only one quarterback with a higher PFF passing grade in the league. And, yes, that's Tom Brady. Him? Dog <laughs> He's dropper. pretty good. He's all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, this was great. I loved watching this game because – Watching Daniel Jones play well is, well, that's just great to see, but watching him run, I think that's also part of the, we see he ran a lot in this game. Part of the reason I think why there was no turnovers in this game is because they kept the ball on the ground more. And when Daniel Jones has the opportunity to run, it's obvious that, that he likes to take it. He likes to take those first downs and run. And it's so funny to think like, you know, you watch like Lamar Jackson on Sunday Night Football against the Kansas City Chiefs, and you're like, hey, Daniel Jones can do that too. And, and it's not something that you expect out of him, but he really is a great runner. And I'm pretty sure, I'm not positive about this, but I'm pretty sure stat-wise, I think he played better than both Josh Allen and Kyler Murray this week. Yep. I believe that's correct. Um, but yeah, this was really great. Big improvement by Daniel Jones. Um, like Hank said earlier in the show, it would have been great to make him player of the week, but it, you know, it, it went to somebody else very, very earning of it. But Daniel Jones, I think he did a great job. And I think that he did everything in his power to win this game. It was just unfortunate that some people were not at the same level as him. Yeah. Yeah. And not to mention Jones over his last eight games just has one interception. Uh, 
that went off of Evan Ingram's hands week 17 against Dallas of last year. Um, there's one more clip I do want to show of Daniel Jones. And this is just the beautiful route that's run by Darius Slayton. And this is, I understand he had a drop in this game, but this is something that good wide receivers do week in and week out. And I'm just going to share my screen here again, so I can kind of walk us through it rather than having the whole clip play out. So as you can see, the giants are in a formation with, Twins to each side. You can't see the bottom receiver, but that's that's Galladay. And then Jones is under duress. He throws it up for a touchdown to Slayton. Now you're going to watch this in slow motion. Watch his kick step. Slayton fakes inside, and that's a good corner. That's Just look at this play. Unbelievable move, and that's against William Jackson III, a guy that Washington just signed to a huge three-year deal in the offseason. They let Ronald Darby walk to get William Jackson. That's just an outstanding read by Daniel Jones, and it really tells you how he's starting to come along. And I think this is going to be – I mean, I'll say it. I think this is going to be our quarterback for a while. I really do, and I'm really excited to say it because Giant fans that want Daniel Jones to to fail, I mean – you should never root for your quarterback to fail. It's just not a good look, and I'm happy to see progress. Me too. Okay, me too. I'm who, so excited. Okay, anyone who roots for your quarterback to fail, just give me your jersey right now. That's all I got to say. Pretty much, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Just yeah. give us all your jerseys. I will be happy to, to put them in my hoard of jerseys in my closet. So there's that. Tom Madden with the breakdown. He was my favorite announcer growing up, Noah. Very, very uh, – Adam agrees. Jones is here to stay. You're 100. Yep. Hey, for for Mr. Rothschild to be saying saying something like that, that said something because a few months yeah. ago I was talking with him somewhere. I've known him for years back. We were kind of on the fence, but for him to say that, that's big. Couple more topics before we bring up Noah in just about five minutes. So Giants rushed for 163 yards. That's the most since their most recent trip to Washington. That's pretty good against their front. Um, for second game in a row, Sterling Shepard led the Giants in catches. Kyle Rudolph and Caden Smith each had two catches. The Giants need to get Caden Smith the football more. Holy smokes. I mean, I love – they need to run the play action on first down because everyone's expecting the Giants to run the football. When they run the play action on first down to their tight ends or Sterling Shepard, it works. You know, one of those three are going to be open more often than not, especially when you have an eighth man coming into the box. You have to respect the guy – like Saquon Barkley. So I really liked what the Giants did there. And to be quite frank with you, the offense looks good. The offense does look good. I'm concerned about the defense. And my last question is, is Aziz Ojolari already the Giants' number one edge rusher? My answer to this question is yes, but I want to hear it from both of you. Where are you leaning here? Uh, it's it's the thing is that as a rookie I'm stoked that he's doing well but he should not be our number one edge rusher we should have people on this on this defense that is better than a rookie so it's like almost like great to hear that but also why is he our number one edge rusher he should be you know he's only played two NFL games in a regular season like how is he already there so I think that that just goes to show how much improvement that this defense needs and for some reason even though they performed so well last year what happened in the offseason what disconnect here is happening so it's great but also very telling I'm not quite ready to put him as number one edge rusher just yet because 
to piggyback off of what you what you guys both said, you really don't want that to go to a rookie. I mean, you've got other guys in the team that are talented and that have that have had experiences, some of whom have been a big reason as to why the Giants were pretty damn close to making the playoffs last year. So I'm really not going to say that yet, but until I continue to see the problems with guys like Leonard Williams and so-and-so, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go in and just crown it to a rookie yet. But having said that so far, what I've seen already, he's by far been the the best in the first two games. That's the key word. Our last topic is our New York giants player of the week. So who's it going to be? Who have we not talked about? It's not Daniel Jones. He's our honorary mention. What do you know? It's Graham Gano. The kicker, 34 (laughs) years old, now holds the franchise record for 35 straight field goals made. And there's been a hell of a lot of good kickers that have come into this organization. He's the first Giants kicker to make five field goals in a single game and nail 250-plus yarders. How great is this guy? <laughs> so great. It was the one, t- like, it, during this game, whenever I saw Graham Gano come onto the field, like, well, when the times where we couldn't convert in the red zone, it sucked, but it was almost like a, a, like a wave of relief because I knew we'd get some kind of points on the board because Graham Gano was coming into the game. He is just money every time. I really, like... He he is like our Steven Goskowski from the from the New England Patriots. He never misses. He's always there. He's reliable and even like past the half of the field mark, like at the 55 and 52 yard line to be able to make those like right down the middle. Like fantastic. So, you know, I'm so happy you're our player of the week this week. You deserve it because while Daniel Jones performed fantastic, you had no issues. There was no problems here. So, I'm very excited to have him on our team as our kicker. Steven Guskowski, I'm more apt to say prime uh, prime Adam Vinatieri. Oh, yeah, Adam Vinatieri is definitely, hey, yeah. Let's just remember, he supplied 17 of our 29 points. So Correct. Uh, at least 17. He might have. No, you're correct. 17. 17 because yeah, the, the three extra points. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, that has to go accounted for. But Gano is awesome. I'm happy he's on our football team. Uh Key takeaways, the Giants are now 0-2 for the eighth time in the past nine seasons. The O-line continues to shuffle as pressure mounts on Dave Gettleman. We we recapped how Jones is having a path to having an excellent third year, but the play calling needs to improve, and the defense is surprisingly an issue. But at this time, we're going to bring on our guest of the evening. He's from Georgia. He's a big Atlanta Falcons fan, and he's a big Georgia Bulldogs fan. Sportsbox Noah, Noah Dibler. How's it going, my friend? Welcome to the show. I'm doing great. How are you all doing? Good, good. good. Thanks good. for joining us. Um, I know both of our teams are 0-2, so I'm sure we'll have a, a ton of fun discussing that. But before we start, why don't you plug your uh, show? I know you do a college football show every Friday night on the Sportsbox. Yep, Friday nights at 9 on the Sportsbox. It's called Sweet Tea, me and Garth Michael Patrick. Um, I'm a Georgia fan. He's a Florida fan, so you can guess how that goes. Um, it's really fun. I know you were on a few weeks ago, Tom. We did a massive preview show, about two and a half hours, way longer than I thought it would be. So, you know, we need to get some cliff notes for these shows in the future. But uh, it was a lot of fun. I'm really happy uh, to be here today to talk about the Atlanta Falcons, uh, even though their performances have, quite frankly, been pathetic. Uh, I have a lot to say. And, um, yeah, I'm excited to talk about the Giants as well. 
Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. And your your buddy Garth in the comments section already, I'm sure he he punched a lot of notes to you about that game in the swamp last Saturday against Alabama. And Adam is booing uh, the, oh. the the Falcons. Oh, uh, let him be, Adam. He's this fine. is all, yeah, uh, <laughs> definitely not on Noah. But obviously the Giants made some transactions this week as now we're going to preview the week three game against Atlanta. Uh, Shane Lemieux and Nick Gates, we mentioned, both placed on injured reserve. The Giants signed a couple of offensive linemen, Cole Banward, to the practice squad. He was an undrafted free agent out of Iowa, uh, signed by the Titans, released on September 9th. Um, this in part due to the Las Vegas Raiders claim Jackson Barton off our practice squad, who is probably the best swing tackle the Giants had on their practice squad. It makes me think, hey, Maybe the Giants should have elevated or protected him. And the Giants also bring back Jonathan Harrison, and they signed Foster Sorrell, three offensive linemen, and we released Dexter Williams. And we also signed Stephen Parker and terminated the contract of tight end Ryan Izzo. So a lot of transactions for the Giants this week. And in practice, we've been trying Matt Pert at guard. I don't know how I like this. Um, do, e- do either of you, Hank or Sam, like this idea? I personally don't. I like Matt Pert, so I'm I'm willing to give it a shot because I liked him at right tackle, and you know m- maybe this isn't his strong suit, but I- I'm willing to give him a shot. I like him too. I just I don't know if you want if switching positions is necessarily the right idea. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, but no, my our first question to you tonight, obviously. The Atlanta Falcons, they're 0-2, like the Giants. Uh, week one, you lost to Philadelphia. Obviously, new head coach with Arthur Smith. Uh, bad loss at home, 32-6. to Defensively, gave up 430 yards. And then week two against the Bucks. I saw your Facebook post after the game, kind of coming to the aid of Matt Ryan and the offense a little bit for throwing the football a lot late in the game. Ryan did have three interceptions in week two, and the Falcons were outscored 20 20- to nothing in the fourth quarter. Now, what has this offense been like off firsthand? Because obviously I haven't watched the games myself, but the first two weeks post Julio Jones era, what's it been like? Uh, It's been inconsistent. If I'm being generous, Tom, you know, especially the first game, I mean, the play calling, no one's open. You know, Matt Ryan's under pressure the entire game. They abandoned the running game, and even when they did run the ball, it wasn't like, you know, we were breaking five yards per carry or anything like that. It was struggling. Um, it's been rough. It has been rough. Now, I don't think it's because Julio Jones left. I think Calvin Ridley has looked fine so far as the number one receiver. Um, Kyle Pitts against the Bucs was probably our best player of the entire game. Um, the first game, I thought the play calling with him was a bit questionable. A bunch of, you know, contested routes to the outside instead of using him what he should be used for, which is exploiting the middle of the field. Um, but I, I, it's a mixed bag, and that's what you expect for the Falcons. They're not a very good team, obviously. Um, offensive line struggles. But, I mean – they were much better against the Bucs. You know, you can say two defensive touchdowns, three picks is not great. And, you know, I'm not going to pretend like they had a good game overall. But what I did like was, you know, they got down heavily early in the game and then the offense actually battled back and got it to 28-25. Unfortunately, you know, they were playing the Bucs, who have the best run defense in the entire league. They could not run the ball. Their leading running back is Cordero Patterson, who is not a running back. He's a wide receiver pretty much. And, They've got a lot to sort out, but I, I did like some of the fight they showed. Of course, you know, two defense touchdowns against. Can't do that. Three picks. Can't do that. 
and, you know, pass blocking suspect. But uh, it's been a mixed bag, which I think for the Falcons, you could say is probably a little better than we expected. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, I know, obviously, it's been a tough start for them. But, uh, Sam, Matt Ryan has been their quarterback for a while. It feels like since we were, like, in grade school. (laughs) Forever. 2008. Yeah, I was going to say, I was probably in, like, sixth grade when you guys drafted him. I was nine, so that tells you how long ago it was. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Matt Matt Ryan, I feel like Matt Ryan doesn't get the respect he deserves. I think after that Super Bowl loss, people kind of were like, ah, no, he's not that good, and he's getting older now. He's going to get washed up. I actually kind of like Matty Ice. I think he's got a consistent play, and, and he's still a really great quarterback. But since he is kind of on this opposite side of 30 here and, and a little bit of an older quarterback, how much how much longer do you think Matt Ryan has with this team before he finally decides to call it quits? It's a tough call because he is 36 now. He's getting on up there in age. And I've said this consistently, Matt Ryan, I don't think he's ever been the problem. I think people that say that don't watch the games or they're Michael Vick fans in our fan base who just <laughs> – they, they have just always hated him. They think Michael Vick was this great quarterback, completed 56% of his passes, but that's neither here nor there. Um, speaking about the Super Bowl in specific, I thought he was fantastic. He's one of the main reasons we were even in the game. And our defense, they couldn't hold late. You know, the play calling was suspect. Um, but I, I've never had an issue with Matt Ryan. You know, I think we're going to talk about a, a quarterback that you guys had a little bit later. And I kind of viewed them similarly to where, you know, when the teams were good, they didn't get a lot of credit because, you know, they had players around them. When the teams have been bad, you know, they've kind of shouldered the blame on that. And I don't think that's fair. That's not how sports work. It's a it's a team game. You have 53 players on your active roster. Um, it's not all on the quarterback. But I what I will say is, you know, his contract goes through 2023. I don't think he, he's either not going to make it through the contract or he's not going to get another one um, because I think they want to draft a quarterback. And, look, I love Matt Ryan, um, but I'll admit, you know, he, the age is starting to show. Is he going to be that guy from a few years ago that's an MVP caliber guy? No. I still think he can be pretty good if everything is, you know, fine around him. But the problem with the Falcons is nothing is fine around him, and it hasn't been for years. Um, so, you know, there's still a lot of building they have to do uh, with the Ross. And I agree with Garth there that I think it's a bit similar to what Philip Rivers went through. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think he has a few years left in the tank. Um, if he leaves the Falcons, I think he could go somewhere else and still produce. And if he does, you know, I wish all the best for him because he's taken a lot of criticism over the years that, in my opinion, a lot of it has been unwarranted. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I've often been above the I'm, – I've often been of the belief that you can't necessarily judge how good or bad a football team is based on how the quarterback is doing because, I mean – as cliche as it sounds, I mean, a quarterback is really only one member of a team. Like, if you thought that Sam Darnold, like, let me give you an example. If you thought Sam Darnold was the problem for the Jets, then you weren't even paying attention to them at all. <laughs> That's a yeah. very good point. Yeah, and, you know, I just saw you guys last Thursday. Your quarterback was one of the top five quarterbacks for the week, in my opinion. Still lost the game for a lot of things out of his control. You know, a drop pass, missed field goal, or, or uh, excuse me, Dexter Lawrence offside and, you know, another field goal attempt. So it's not all on the quarterback, you know, of sure, of course, they're the most important position. They're probably going to get most of the credit, but I'm kind of in the quarterback apologist. You know, okay, what's going on around him? Is the running game going well? Offensive line, is it sucking or not? Uh, how are the skills positions? And uh, with Falcons, I mean, running game struggling, offensive line struggling. 
Sure, he has the skills positions, but if you're sideways, what does it matter? <laughs> That's very true. That's a good point. And yep. we'll get to the offensive line in just a moment. But obviously, the Giants and Falcons, they haven't met in three years. The Falcons won that game 23-20. to However, the Giants have won three of their last four matchups against the Falcons at MetLife Stadium, where yep. our legendary quarterback, Eli Manning, will have his number 10 jersey retired at this game, and he will be inducted into the Giants' ring of honor on Sunday. And you show you underneath? Back. Yeah, I have the, <laughs> old, the OG jersey here. Um, Eli Manning had his only home career playoff win against, against the, the Atlanta, Atlanta Falcons. Falcons. January 8, 2012. And Eli Manning, his first career start was against the Atlanta, the Atlanta Falcons. Falcons. So. Incredible. Yeah, you know what? We do not have a good record against Eli Manning or the Giants in general, especially at the Meadowlands. I mean, you know, you had to bring up that game, Tom. That was the first playoff game I actually watched as a Falcons fan. A solid 24-2 to result. We got a safety to go up, and then the rest, it was just <laughs> – So I mean, have a lead. You did we, have a lead. Yeah, we did have a lead, you know, but as usual, we blow it, that solid 2 nothing lead. But, uh, yeah, no, I got to give a lot of credit to Eli. You know, he's gotten a lot of crap the past few years, and – um in my opinion, I think a lot of it is due. I mean, was he the same guy he was when he left? Of course not. You can see he was declining and all that. He was getting up there. But at the same time, you have to look at the rest of the picture, like I've said. And the past, I'd say the last three or four years of his career, I'd say the Giants were not a good team at all. I'd say mainly after Tom Coughlin left, it started to rapidly decline. And the problem I have with, you know, Eli Manning critics is that you know, they'll say, okay, you know, he won two Super Bowls, but it was because of his defense and all that. Um, oh, I have a big problem with that. I do as well. The problem I have with it is, you know, okay, sure, they had solid defenses, but if you look at the defensive ranks, the Patriots, yardage-wise and points-wise, I believe were actually better than Giants both of those seasons. And if you look at the statistics, Eli Manning outplayed Tom Brady in both of those Super Bowls. He made two of the greatest plays I've ever seen in Super Bowl history. The first one, the Tyree catch, you know, haters will say, oh, it's, it's a lucky catch. You know, he stuck to his helmet. The thing a lot of people don't mention is that he broke two or three sacks on that play to deliver an accurate pass downfield. And this, go ahead. No, go ahead. And in the second Super Bowl, he made one of the greatest throws I have ever seen to Mario Manningham on a game-winning touchdown drive to with a, where Maude Bradshaw tried to stop going in, but he scored. He was phenomenal in those Super Bowls. He won two Super Bowl MVPs, and, I mean, let's be honest, a guy wins two Super Bowl MVPs. He's top ten in basically every career passing metric that has ever existed. Um, you know, the past few years of his career, he had terrible teams, and let's be honest, he shouldered a lot of blame for that. And, you know, people don't want to give him credit when they won. They gave him all the blame when they lost, and I don't think that's fair. And if people don't want to say he's not a Hall of Famer, that's their right. I would agree it's probably debatable. But in my opinion, and just just my opinion, you cannot tell the story of the NFL without Eli Manning. So in my opinion, he is a Hall of Famer. Not going to say he's first ballot, but he is a Hall of Famer. Okay, I was going to add to your point. He not only is top 10 in a few passing categories, he has pretty much nearly every single rec- franchise record in Giants history, too. And to expand your point that I made, I can't tell you how pissed off I get. And every time someone goes up to me and said, oh, your defense carried Eli Manning to two Super Bowl wins. No. BS. 
If you look at the tw- 2011 season, besides just the Super Bowl, half the wins that we had were fourth quarter comebacks. Do you know what that's called? That's called a franchise quarterback carrying his team. And guess what? If they had forget the playoffs, if they had lost any one of those regular season games, we would not have even been in the playoffs whatsoever. And in other words, if Eli Manning wasn't on the Giants in 2011, you think they win that Super Bowl? Heck no. And, you know, I said something about you can't always judge a team by how good or bad his quarterback is, or you can't judge a quarterback. Well, let's say this. Tom and I have said multiple times through text when watching Giants that Eli Manning never failed the Giants. The Giants failed Eli Manning. And if you want to look no further, just take a look at Jerry Reach's awful track record because that guy, like, ran the Giants into the ground. And not to mention his turnovers, some of those were tip balls. So. I will never I I hate when people try to tell me oh Eli was was not uh, not a Hall of Famer. No. He, that's he did exactly what you want a franchise quarterback to do. Exactly what you want a franchise quarterback to do. And I will take any quarterback who misses all but one game in a span of like what uh 10 11 12 years. I like to pretend that missed game never happened. Screw you Ben Mac. That's all I got to say. Yeah, I mean you know, this incredible super winning Giants teams that I, I believe went nine and seven in both those regular seasons. You know, those absolute powerhouse teams that they had playing one of the greatest teams in NFL history, the New England Patriots. Number one receiver, Randy Moss. Eli Manning's number one receiver is Plaxico Burst, who's a good receiver, but he's no Randy Moss. And he still out he still outplayed Tom Brady in that game. The second one he completed yeah. I believe, 30 of 40 passes for I think it was 296 yards. He didn't make a single mistake the entire game. And you know. Sure, it was a defensive game, but that's football. You know, it's not like, oh, it's just offense and that's all about the game. You know, you got to have good defense as well. And, you know, I got to give a lot of credit to those Giants. You know, were they the, you know, the, the remarkable team that season went 13 3? No, but when it matters the most, they got it done. And that's really all that matters. And Eli Manning was a large part of that. Right. We were. Oh, and another thing I like to bring up with regards to Eli, my favorite Eli memory was him getting back up every time he get, kept getting hit again in the 49ers game the week before that. Trust me, I can go on about the 2007-2011 season. I remember those years better than Let's what I had for breakfast. Move but, yeah. on. Um, <laughs> the, the Giants, they did go 10-6 and six in 2007. But, Noah, you're right. They did go 9-7 in 2011. Uh, keys to the game for this game against the Falcons. Uh, obviously, I think they have to pressure Matt Ryan. That's going to be key. We have not pressured – Either of these two, Teddy Bridgewater picked us to pieces, and we saw what Taylor Heineke did on Thursday Night Football. Aziz Ojolari, Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, Lorenzo Carter are the four players that I'm really looking at saying need to step it up. Uh, The Falcons have a decent O-line who is probably underperforming right now, Noah. Uh, Two solid tackles and Jake Matthews and Caleb McGarry. You drafted Matt Hennessy a year ago, drafted Jalen Mayfield this year who slipped to the third round. Chris Lindstrom's a former first-round pick, Hank. Um, the, the Falcons, Hank, they don't have a bad offensive line. No, they didn't. And it seems to me the Falcons have really been focusing on developing that offensive line to be one of their strong points this year. And how do you feel about this unit going into the season? It's really tough because the unit is very young. I mean, you look at where everyone has been drafted. You know, you mentioned McGarry, Chris Lindstrom as well, first-round picks in 2019. Um 
at the center position. You know, we have another really young guy there as well. Um, Jake Matthews is really the only veteran on that team. And even then, I mean, he was drafted back in 2014. So it's not like he's 35 years old or anything. Um, it, it, it's really tough because I think they've invested a lot in the offensive line in the draft. And I have to give them credit for that. Um, I just think the players need to develop, to be honest with you. Um, you know, they've been okay, but there've been times where they've been really shaking, showing their inexperience and stuff like that. And especially with uh, Lindstrom and Gary, they've also battled a couple of injuries. And when they're out, you know, that's not great as well. We had uh, Jalen Mayfield starting at left guard uh, because their starting left guard, Josh Andrews, has been injured. And you can tell he's just – he's not ready. Um, and, you know, two young centers as well and Drew Dahlman. Um, so it, it's really tough. I do like what they've done with the picks. I just think, you know, that they have to improve and develop. And, you know, whether that's on the players themselves, I don't think it is. I think it's probably more the coaching. I've never been a fan of our coaching for a long time. Um, you know, I just give them time, but I'm not surprised at all that, you know, they struggle every now and then because it's a very inexpensive or excuse me, inexperienced unit. You know, our veterans like Alex Mack, um, you know, from that Super Bowl team, Chris Chester, um, left guard, Andy Levici, they're all gone. And you replace them with a bunch of, you know, rookie second year, third year players. They're going to have some growing pains. You have to accept that. Um, and so I'm very patient with them. You know, obviously it's very frustrating in the middle of the game. You know, when guys getting pressured every other play, you know, sure, it's frustrating, but I understand it. You know, they're young guys. At least it's not like they're veterans out there, you know, struggling. They need to develop. Sam, what's one of your keys to the game for the Giants on Sunday? For the Giants, I think that the most important thing that needs to be done is because this defense does have some holes in it and it is maybe not – I mean, we've played two very good defenses the past few weeks, and – Seeing them go up against a defense that isn't as strong, um, capitalizing on that, capitalizing on a weakened secondary to get the ball down the field, um, it is what I think the Falcons are going to try and jump on in the fact that Nick Gates isn't playing and that our offensive line is weak. So they're going to push on that. Daniel Jones needs to get the ball down the field to the weakened secondary in order for us to perform well, I think, in this game. So that's going to be the most important thing is to see how they end up playing against, if they play strong against a more a less defined defense, then it's going to be like, okay, maybe this offense is what we thought it was going to be. And that's, what's going to be really important. So definitely capitalizing on um, especially that secondary, because I know that you guys had um, AJ Terrell is one of your corners that I think he got a concussion last week. So I don't know if he's playing or not this week. Yeah, it's really tough because he is actually one of our best players. Um, You know, we'll, we'll see what happens with that, but yeah, you're right. I think this game, in my opinion at least, it has all the makings of an offensive shootout. Because let's be honest, you know, you guys are talking about injuries to the O-line. You could put Tom out there at left guard, and he'd be perfectly fine against our def- defensive line. It, it, it is it is a really a liability for us. And um, going back to the game you guys were talking about earlier with Washington, that's a team I think we need to imitate on our defense. Because when you look at Washington's defense, you know, in the, in the secondary – in the linebackers, they have some solid players. But when you look at it, do they have guys out there like a prime Deion Sanders or a prime Lawrence Taylor? No. Where their defense is really elite is the defensive line. They have invested four first-round picks in the defensive line, and the Falcons have not done that for several years. The last first-round pick they used on a defensive lineman, if I remember right, is Takaris McKinley, who is no longer on the team. The one before that was Vic Beasley, who had one great season but was a bust. And other than that, I mean, Grady Jarrett was the fifth-round pick. They got very lucky with that one, but it needs a lot of investment. And, you know, if we can't pressure Daniel Jones, and one thing I will say about Daniel Jones as well, 
similar to what we faced with Jalen Hurts in week one, he's very mobile. So, you know, the few times we got pressure on Jalen Hurts, he could scramble out of the pocket and make some big plays. I remember they got a touchdown right before the half because we couldn't sack him. Dallas Goddard was open. You know, that's a key momentum stage in the game. So I think Daniel Jones will be a playmaker this game because even if we do get to him, he can roll out of the pocket. I also look at you guys, and even though, you know, you may not be the best team on paper, I look at your skills positions and say, this team has some really good weapons. Now, I know Saquon Barkley is, you know, coming off that ACL Terry's looked at, probably a little slow to start. And I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure the offense line hasn't done him a ton of favors as well. But at wide receiver, Kenny Galladay, I loved in Detroit. If you can put 1,200 yards on Detroit, you can be a good player anywhere. Darius Slayton, I know he had that big drop, but I loved him in college. I like what I've seen from him in the first few seasons. And Sterling Shepard, he's been there for a few years. Um, one guy I saw last week, I didn't know a lot about him before, Caden Smith as well at tight end, I thought was pretty solid for you guys. So, you know, if he can get a couple key third down catches, three or four catches for you guys, that'll be key for us as well. We need to score points because I think you guys have a lot of weapons, enough weapons on offense to put points up on us. Um, Tom Brady, I mean, 44-year-old geriatric Tom Brady threw five touchdowns on us, no problem. So we need to match you guys offensively. And I, I know your defense has struggled to start this season, but it was a good unit last year. Uh, key matchup for me, Calvin Ridley versus James Bradbury. Who will win that matchup? Um, the main thing I remember James Bradbury for was being the guy that was covering Julio Jones when he got 300 yards against the Panthers. So if we get something, you know, even half that, that'd be great. But he's a very good corner. It'll be tough. Uh, Got to keep an eye as well on my boy Aziz Ojolari on the D-line. Um, you know, if he sacks Matt Ryan, I'm going to be kind of pissed. But, you know, I'm low-key <laughs> on the inside. I'd be like, okay, at least it's him. Um, it's going to be a good matchup. Uh, whatever the over-under is, take the over. That's what I always say with the Falcons. Take the over. A lot of points. It's going to go right down to the wire. Yeah, we got a lot of Bulldogs on our defense. We got Tay Crowder. We got Lorenzo Carter. We got Aziz Ojolari. So we got a lot of Georgia Bulldogs on our defense. Um, I think both teams need to focus on winning the turnover battle because last week the Giants had zero turnovers but lost the game. The Giants won time of possession but lost the game. So both teams need to get off the field on third down. Oh, uh, you're not stressed both, that enough. Both teams need to establish a run because last week, I'm looking at Barkley's numbers, they were inflated. Yes, 13 rushes for 57 yards. That's not awful, but 41 of those yards came on a single run. Yep. You take that away, he had 12 rushes for 16 yards. Yeah, I know the Falcons don't have a good defense, but this is a new look interior O-line for the Giants. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, Noah, I mean, before a couple days ago, outside of Grady Jarrett, I don't know who anybody is on this defense. Deion Jones has given up over 100 receiving yards and two touchdowns in the first two games. Um, Oluwakun, I think his name is, he hasn't been – I mean, you guys are giving up 40 points a game. That's the most in the NFL. This defense has looked like the worst unit in football. What has gotten them to this point, and what, what is their biggest weakness? I'd say the defensive line, like I mentioned earlier, you know, you mentioned Tom, you know, other than Grady Jarrett, who I think is a really solid top 10 defensive tackle, runs stuff for extraordinaire. But even with him, is he a guy that you're looking for to go out and get 10 sacks a season? No, he can pass rush. I'm not saying he's bad at it, but he is a guy that when I look at him, he's predominantly a run stopper. Other than that, I mean, you know, with the Falcons, unfortunately, it seems like every season they, they go, okay, Who's this 28 or 29-year-old defensive end who started 12 games in his career? Let's let's pick this guy up and start him 
for the entire season. And what do you know? It, it doesn't work when you get guys, you know, rotating guys in that don't have a lot of experience over and over again. They need to invest, you know, first-round picks and all that, like Washington has done, like I said. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's really tough on your secondary when you, they can they can cover a guy well, but if you don't get pressure, eventually someone is going to get open. You need to be able to pressure the quarterback. And like I said, Daniel Jones has that dual-threat ability that is going to make it very difficult for him. Um, if we do get pressure, he can still extend plays. Um, but, you know, you're right, Tom. The defense is terrible. It's been terrible for years. Um, I'd say other th- since the year after the Super Bowl, it has been horrific. And before that, it wasn't, you know, it was – pretty much average at best and b- below that most of the time as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, I just don't like our defense at all. I will say the only thing I will say, Tom, that 40 points per game is a little inflated because, you know, the Eagles ha- did score a lot of points after, you know, our, our defense just basically gave up. And we also did throw – or we had two defensive touchdowns against us. But, you know, I'm not going to – you know, Tom Brady throws five touchdowns. We made Jalen Hurts look incredible, and he looked terrible against the 49ers next week. So it's definitely a poor defense. Um, they just need to invest in it. And, um, you know, you mentioned Deion Jones. I think he's one of our best players. A.J. Terrell, you know, a solid rookie or second-year corner, but he's still a young guy. Is he a guy you want to, you know, rely on as the number one? It's a tough call. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you guys should be able to play well against our defense because it's not good. And, you know, like I said, I got to give you guys credit. I look at your team and I look at their skills positions. I say, hey, they've got some underrated weapons. If Daniel Jones keeps playing like he has, um, especially last week, uh, he can do some damage against us. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I, w- I was going to ask you what your biggest concern about playing the Giants was, but seems to me you pretty much listed a lot of them. I mean, would you say that our weapons are, are up there for one of those concerns, like, say, Galladay and Shepard? Absolutely. I mean, you know, when we can't get pressure on the quarterback, I don't think we'll get a lot. Um, they're going to have field day, I think, against our, our secondary. You know, they did bring some guys in the offseason. They brought in Fabian Moreau from the uh, football team, and then they bought uh, Deron Harmon. I believe he was on the Lions last season, but I just remember him as a Patriot. But these are stopgap guys. You know, they're not going to be guys that are going to start for you for two or three seasons. They're here probably for the year, and then they're going to go. Uh, they did draft Richie Grant, uh, the, the safety out of UCF, who I personally like as a complete corner, but he's still a young guy. He needs to develop. Um, you can't expect him to just start 16 games right away. So I think my biggest concern, and there are a lot, I, but I will say number one is probably Daniel Jones um, because of the dual threat. Um, like I said in week one, you know, Jalen Hurts, we got a few, you know, four or five plays where we can get pressure, but he extends plays and someone gets open downfield. And, you know, those are big momentum-shifting, key, big yardage plays. Um, so I think Daniel Jones will be my go-to factor. Um, another shout-out, once again, Saquon Barkley. Eventually, he's going to start running at full pace. And when he does, look out because he's probably a top-five back in the league. Daniel Jones, his first career start against the Atlanta Falcons on Sunday. I think he has to do a little, <laughs> little bit better job on those touch passes. I think he's going to learn that as he goes. But, Sam, who is your player to watch for the Atlanta Falcons? Probably one of the best draft picks in the uh, in the draft from this past year, Kyle Pitts. I read a very interesting stat earlier today that said that the Falcons average 5.3 yards per play with him on the field. And when Pitts isn't on the field, it's 2.61 yards. So I think it's really interesting as the fourth overall pick that he's not – played in 100% of the snaps. So 
first, why do you think he's not getting played in every single snap? And also, do you think that if they play him more, what challenges is he going to present to this Giants defense? Well, the first part I think is you do have to remember they do still have Hayden Hurst, who they traded a second-round pick for. Now, I'm not saying he's any Kyle Pitts or anything like that, but he is a solid blocking tight end, and he can catch a bass for you. So I think there is a bit of loyalty there from the coaching staff to Hayden Hurst. Um, but other than that, you know, I agree with you. I, I really question why they don't play him more, especially the first game. Um, you know, when he was on the field, they ran a lot of lot of questionable routes, like he was getting contested, you know, sideline passes. That's not what you draft, you know, a tight end for, especially when it's the highest drafted tight end ever. You get him out there to exploit mismatches against the linebackers, exploit the middle of the field so you can open it up for your guys on the outside. You don't move the tight end to the outside. That makes no sense to me. And I think that's what they did a bit better against Tampa Bay. Like I said, I think he was our best player against Tampa Bay because he created mismatches. He allowed, you know, the receivers to get more space. And I hope they keep using him. And I, I think he's a good shout for a player to watch. Um, <clears throat> look, he was the best player in the draft. A lot of people said, I'm not saying I believe that, but I did see some say that. He was the best player available at number four, but he still has a lot of pressure on him. He's the highest drafted tight end ever, and it's really not even close. So, you know, he's going to have the microscope on him the entire season from the entire NFL. And, um, you know, he's a young guy. He's only 20 years old. He turns 21 in October, I believe. So, you know, how is he going to deal with that pressure? So far, I think he's done well. I just hope the coaches continue to utilize him like they did against Tampa Bay. No more of that Philadelphia play calling for him. <laughs> no, you brought up a lot of good points. I, I'm looking at Pitts also because the Giants can't cover tight ends. But for me, one player on offense, one player on defense. And, yes, I do think Pitts scores his first career touchdown this weekend. I think it will be against us. I think it's bound to happen. But for me, it's it's Calvin Ridley, right? The Giants are talking about Kenny Galladay. They're like, wake up. You're waiting to break out. Well, the Falcons are doing the same thing with Calvin Ridley. He's, I think he's on deck to erupt. Uh, is going up against James Bradbury concerning? Of course it is. But you're always going to draw CB1 attention, and a lot of teams have a good CB1. That's just how it is. The good defenses also have a good CB2, and that's where the Giants present with Dory Jackson. A lot of defenses don't have a good CB2, but the Giants are lucky to have one. I think right now our CB2 is outperforming our CB1, which makes me worried about Calvin Ridley, a guy who has 27 career touchdowns entering just. So we saw what Scary Terry did to us last week. Pretty scary, wasn't it? No pun intended. But Calvin Ridley, I'm concerned he's going to do the same thing. And then we talked about him before, Grady Jarrett, solid player on the interior who the Giants could struggle with. We lost Gatesy. We lost Lemieux. Jarrett has at least, has had at least four sacks in each of his last four seasons. So those are the two players that I'm looking at. And Billy Price, Ben Bredesen, you better be ready. Yeah, no, this is definitely two great picks, Tom. Um, for me, uh, on offense, you know, I think Calvin Ridley is a great pick. A lot of people, you know, from outside fans or outside fan bases are saying, can he be a number one receiver? The thing they don't look at is he was our number one receiver last season when Julio Jones was injured half the year. And if you look at the stats for the season, or those games, excuse me, without Julio Jones, multiple 100-yard games, he had a 160-yard game as well. I, I think it might have actually been Tampa Bay that he had that against. So he's shown he can be a number one. I think he's looked fine to start this season, but – I am looking for that 
trademark game from him. Uh, for me, I'm probably going to go with Mike Davis just because we need to establish the running game. It's what we've sorely lacked for the past few years. Um, I know Cortell or Patterson, you know, he's had a few plays, but he's not a stereotypical, prototypical running back. We want Mike Davis to be like Michael Turner like we had years ago, this power back that can carry the load for if you need it, 15, 20 carries. You know, we need him to have close to 100 yards, I'd say, so we can set up play action and throw deep to those big targets and explosive weapons that we have. And on defense, you know, Jarrett's a great pick once again. I'm not going to pick him just because I think he's kind of the obvious choice. I expect him to play well. I want my eye on it, and I want to see what he can do. Deion Jones, because you mentioned it, Tom. You know, he's been a bit inconsistent the past few years, but he is an incredible talent when healthy, struggled with injuries. I want to see if he can make this play in that game to where, you know, it's a key point in the game. The game is tied. The defense has struggled all game. But then he makes that one play and maybe he forces a Barkley fumble. Or Jones doesn't see him in the middle of the field. He gets a big pick in the in the fourth quarter, something like that. Something like that from Deion Jones is what I'm looking for. Um, but it's going to be a shootout, like I said. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, you know, if we lose, I'll be on that Kayvon Thibodeau train already. But if we win, you know, I'll be pretty happy as well. Hank. Who do you got? One player from Atlanta, one player from the Giants. All right, so one player from Atlanta. I also have uh, I also have Calvin Ridley. He's another guy. I think the reason that's, that Calvin Ridley scares me is because we saw what Terry McLaurin did against James Bradbury. He absolutely torched him to smithereens. I'm worried that that same thing could happen to James Bradbury this week. And as far as the Giants goes – you know what? I'm going to say – I'm going to give you another wide receiver. I'm going to say Ken Galladay hasn't been getting involved with in the offense as much this year. I have a feeling with the Falcons' future defense – no offense, Noah. I think this is probably going to be his first game where we really see him shine. I think this will be the game where he, he cracks 100 in terms of receiving yards, and he'll probably I, – I can all see him getting a touchdown to boot. Yeah, I know Sam – Give us one player on the Giants. I think I forgot to ask you that. One player on the Giants that you think is going to really shine on Sunday. Going to really shine. Um, I want to say that after making a little bit of noise and um, making sure that he's a little bit more involved in the offense, uh, could be Kenny Galladay, basically because of the fact that he just kind of made it a little bit more public to the to the media and to the coaches and I think they're starting to realize though that yes Kenny Galladay is an important part of our offense and while Shep is a great great reliable target for Daniel Jones like Kenny Galladay provides a lot so I think that with um with the defense that the Falcons do have maybe it's time to start relying on some other receivers so I'm going to keep an eye out for Kenny Galladay yeah I mean I like Logan Ryan too uh, guy who causes a lot of turnovers for us, 17 tackles already, 13th ranked safety on PFF, Leonard Williams, and then Evan Ingram, guys. He's on track to play Sunday. I think that adds another whole dynamic which transitions into our injury report segment. Giants have a lot of them. Evan Ingram limited today in practice with a calf injury. He's on track to play. Uh the only player who did not practice who is currently active on the team is Cam Brown. We know hamstrings can be tricky and take a while, but other limited players, Austin Johnson, he's dealing with an illness, Nate Ebner with a quad, Kenny Galladay with his hip injury, that's no shocker, Logan Ryan with a hammy, Caden Smith with a knee, and then Kadarius Tony was added with an ankle injury. So I'm sure all those players will play 
except for Cam Brown. So I'm excited to see Evan Ingram on the field. Hopefully there's no uh, <laughs> butterscotch candy trying to endorse him after this uh, week three game. Just put stick him or stupor glue on his gloves. Just dunk it in the in the bucket. Yeah, there we go. Just dink it in, and he's not – he won't miss anything. Snap's got it. Now, Tom, you did mention something interesting. You said Kadarius Tony was going to play. Do you expect that to be 10 or 15 snaps? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, we were talking about what his role on this team was before. I think if – he should be our kick returner, honestly. I think yeah. he brings a lot more to the table than C.J. Board. Um, I don't mind Jabril Peppers returning punts. That's fine, despite his injury concerns in the past at Michigan when he was in college. But I'd say 15 to 20 snaps for Kadarius Toney. I think it can – I think it's going to increase week by week. With Evan Ingram back, that's another weapon. Now the Giants have three tight ends they could rely on, an Ingram, Rudolph, and Smith. So Kadarius Toney – could be an afterthought again. You might be right. They don't use him. I'm just sick of these useless gadget plays they're trying to run with him. It doesn't make any sense. They're trying to use him as an extra running back. That's not who he is. What he is is he's a quick, dynamic slot receiver. That's what he should be. And Garth could tell you, Tony played at yeah. Florida. He was Trask's number one wide receiver. So I think that goes unnoticed. I think – He's not going to be electric in this game, but at least try to get him the ball two, maybe three times. You know what I think it is, Tom, and you know you guys know more about the Giants, so if you disagree, you can chime in. I think they wanted Devontae Smith. Um, the problem is the Eagles traded up, and then the Giants didn't really know what to do, so they traded down right after that. I believe that was when uh, the Bears traded up to get Fields. And then when they picked – um, I think it was probably number 28 or something like that. They took Tony because he was probably the best receiver left on the board. And now, you know, he's only played, I think, 24 snaps, two games. I'm wondering if they even wanted him or if they just were dead set on getting a receiver. And then when they picked, he was the guy, the best guy left because I think they wanted Devontae Smith and he was gone. Um, I really question. I don't think it's his fault. Look, I hate the team he played for, but I'll, I'll heavily admit he was a great player for them at Florida. Um, that offense was really good last season. Um, so I hope he gets more of a role because I hate to see, you know, a young guy like this just not getting used. Um, if you're going to take a guy in the first round, take him. I mean, what's the point of keeping him on the bench the whole game? Um, but real quick, since we're on injuries, you know, I, I think it was Sam that mentioned it earlier. Um, AJ Terrell with that concussion, I think he'll play, but he has not practiced this week as well. The only other major one, luckily we haven't had a lot of injuries, Russell Gage, who is our number two receiver, um, has not practiced this week as well. I, I think he'll play as well. The only other guy on our injury report right now is Frank Darby, who barely plays because he's a six-round wide receiver. Uh, yeah, so those three were the only ones I had for Atlanta as well. And then looking at Atlanta's schedule coming up, even if they drop – let's just say they lose this game, they drop to 0-3. You're home against Washington, winnable game, even though you probably won't be favored. Then you're home against the Jets – I mean, at worst, that'll be Atlanta's first win. And then you're home against Carolina. Divisional games are always tough. Um, so at this time, I mean, we're going to predict this game. Obviously, Matt Ryan has not led the Falcons to a winning season since 2017 for the Giants. It's been since 2016. Noah, as the guest, I'm going to start with you. Give me your <laughs> prediction for this game and a final score if, if you have. 
it, it's really tough. You know, when I looked at the first five games before the year, I thought, hey, we got some winnable games here. Uh, and then week one, they just go out and get absolutely belly whomped by the Philadelphia Eagles, who I still don't think are a very good team. And, you know, it sets your expectations back again. And when I look at the New York Giants, um, you know, I didn't watch your first game, but I saw you guys had a lead in that game for, you know, probably the first qu- quarter and a half. And I don't know what happened the second half. It looked like it just fell apart. And the second game, I mean, you guys should have won that game. You know, you just straight up lost that game. A, a ton of key plays that perfectly went in Washington's favor. Um, in my opinion, I don't think you're an 0-2 team. Um and I have to give you credit as well. You know, you started last season uh, poorly, but then to go down the stretch, you guys were really good and actually surprisingly competing for the division. So I personally like Joe Dudge as a coach. I think he's going to he's gonna get that team defensively and uh, disciplined, defensively sound. Um, but I think it's going to be a shootout, like I said. Um, you know, like I, like I did say, we do not have the greatest record in the Meadowlands. But in my opinion, bad streaks are meant to be broken. So on that, I'm going to pick the Atlanta Falcons to win a close game by a field goal. Going okay. to be a, going to be a ton of points. I am going to say 38 to 35 Atlanta. Ooh. Wow, that is a lot of points. Uh, you weren't kidding when you said take the over. Wow. Yep. Uh, Sam, I'll let I'll let you go next. Um, who do you got? Um, I agree with the fact that I believe it's going to be a shootout. Um, I didn't predict that many points, but I do think that it is going to be a good amount of them. I believe that the Giants are now on track to finally uh, put enough points on the board to win a game and to outplay another team. Um, but I do think that the Giants are going to win this game with a final score of 31-24 to 24 Giants. Hope it happens because I think this is one of the most important games for both of these teams because a team that starts 0-3, we're, we're most likely not going to see them in the postseason. So I'm I'm hoping that this is a game that the Giants win. However, Atlanta Falcons, Matty Ice, Calvin Ridley, they are not going to go down without a fight. So it's going to be an interesting watch. Like you guys, I have a high-scoring game. I think it's going to be back and forth during like the first half, but I think in the second half, the Giants are going to break away. My final score, you're going to be surprised that I'm actually predicting a two-score game, but I'm going to say Giants 35, Falcons 24. Interesting. Um, look, last week, I predicted the Giants to lose by one in heartbreaking fashion, and that's what happened. I just didn't get the score correct. I was off by about 10 points for each team. But anyway, uh, look, the Falcons present a lot of matchup problems. Kyle Pitts, we don't have a guy that could reliably cover him. Calvin Ridley is a problem. If Russell Gage doesn't play, though, then that kind of piques my interest as far as the Giants have an elite secondary on paper that's going to improve game by game. I think the biggest concern for the Giants right now is what they're able to do up front. Are they able to supply enough pressure to bring Matt Bryan down? I think this is the first game that the Giants are going to be able to do that. I don't think either team's going to hit 30 points. I do think there's going to be a good amount of points scored, but I think the Giants are going to win this game by a final score of 27 to 23. Um, I think the Falcons are going to jump out to an early lead. And it is Eli Manning day, so I think that has a little extra um, ride to it. If this game was in Atlanta, I'd probably pick that score reversed in the Falcons' favor. 
but strictly due to the fact that you know the Falcons do have somewhat of a poor track record at MetLife and the Meadowlands. I am going to go with the Giants in this game, but uh, yeah, that's that's my prediction. So we have all the Giants fans going with the Giants, and then Noah, you're going with your Atlanta Falcons. Uh, this should be a good one. I think it could go either way. I think both teams are in a position to win. This is a winnable game for each team, and I guess may the best team win on Sunday. Yeah, or or may the less bad team win, to be honest, more accurate. <laughs> Indeed. Folks, if, if you liked what you watched tonight, make sure to subscribe to us on our YouTube channel at Big Blue Avenue. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter as well. And Noah, before we let you go here, is there anything you wanted to add uh, on this game? And if you want to plug your podcast, Sweet Tea, again as well, I believe you guys will be live tomorrow night. That is correct. Uh, Sweet Tea of Friday nights at 9 over at Sportsbox with my man Garth Michael Patrick. A lot of college football and NFL talk. Um, It's really exciting. I'm sure he's got a lot to talk about with that Florida-Alabama game and the Chargers losing to the Cowboys in a close one. Thank you very much, Steve. Um, This was a lot of fun, guys, and I really appreciate you guys having me on. You guys do a great job over here. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to, you know, be commenting on the shows as much as I have in the past. Um, but that's going to change soon because, you know, I swear the past two or three weeks, I've had like three times I've 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 remembered at the last minute to get on the show. And then when I come on, Tom is going, thank you guys very much for watching. <laughs> we'll see you next time. It, it's just really annoying. But um, Hank, Sam, Tom, thank you guys very much. May the best team win. And if we lose, cave on Thibodeau, baby. I'm waiting for him. <laughs> and if you win. And if you win, we will be the first to acknowledge that and congratulate you for picking that correctly. Um, yeah, great job to Noah. Uh, Adam, Adam throwing in the salt there at the end. That's so. Uh, hey, look, listen. Adam, he's a fan. He means no harm. Look, the Falcons have been in the Super Bowl more recently than the Giants. I will say that. So true. Hey, hey all I got to say is Adam. You know, calling him below average is generous. <laughs> yeah, look at it that way. Um, folks, make sure to go check in on the Sweet Tea podcast tomorrow night on the Sports Box at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Noah Dibler, Garth Michael Patrick talking all things college football. They're going to butt heads, recapping. Uh, I can't wait for the week Florida plays Georgia. The two of you are probably going to rip each other's head off on that episode. <laughs> There's no rivalry like Bama Georgia, but really do appreciate you coming on, Noah. And, uh, yeah, we will talk to you again soon. Thanks, guys. Have a great night. Thanks, Noah. Thanks, Noah. Thank you. So that was Noah Dibler from the Sports Box. He, he's an awesome guy, uh, high-quality guy. I always love talking with him. We've had three great guests our first three weeks. We started with Ross, um, who was hyping up the Broncos. We didn't think he was legit. <laughs> he turned out he is. The Broncos are on the verge of 3-0. and Cannon. Look, I had a feeling Washington was going to win that game. Cannon always likes to give the Giants a lot of credit. So shout out to him as well. He was an awesome guest. And then Noah tonight just pretty much pulling out a scrapbook and giving us all the X's and O's on the Atlanta Falcons. That guy was awesome. And Sam and Hank, thank you so much for uh, joining me again this week. This has been a lot of fun, and hopefully we'll be one and two. We'll have our first win by the time we're back next week. I, I'm I'm betting on the fact that by next Thursday, when we're all together again, we will be recapping a New York Giants win. So, I we'll put it into existence. Probably, 
And I think I will be the one New Yorker celebrating while I'm in Boston. It's going to be great. And way to go, Hank. And as I mentioned that, I also want to say, let's go Yankees. We need to beat the Sox. But anyways, in any event, Tom, I want to thank you again. Always a pleasure talking to the both of you. Really excited for this game. And I'm nervous as hell, but I think it's going to be the week the Giants pulled off. I mean, not going to go. Can't go. Can't be oh oh for forever, right? Oh, let's hope not. I agree. I appreciate everybody in the comments section commenting tonight. Adam, Steve, Noah, everybody who's commented. Ben, really do appreciate all of you. On behalf of Sam Cardona and Hank and Dichter, I'm Tom Scavetta wishing you all a good evening. You've been watching Big Blue Avenue here on Facebook Live. See you next week, and let's go Big Blue.